Section 39 of Essays, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays, Book 1, by Michel de Montaigne, translated by Charles Cotton. A Consideration Upon Cicero. One word more by way of comparison betwixt these two. There are to be gathered out of the writings of Cicero and the younger Pliny, but little, in my opinion, resembling his uncle in his humours, infinite testimonies of a beyond-measure ambitious nature, and amongst others, this for one, that they both, in the sight of all the world, solicit the historians of their time not to forget them in their memoirs. And fortune, as if in spite, has made the vanity of those requests live upon record down to this age of ours, while she has long since consigned the histories themselves to oblivion. But this exceeds all meanness of spirit in persons of such a quality as they were, to think to derive any great renown from babbling and prating, even to the publishing of their private letters to their friends, and so withal, that though some of them were never sent, the opportunity being lost, they nevertheless presented them to the light, with this worthy excuse that they were unwilling to lose their labors and lucubrations. Was it not very well becoming two consuls of Rome, sovereign magistrates of the republic that commanded the world, to spend their leisure in contriving quaint and elegant missives, thence to gain the reputation of being versed in their own mother-tongues. What could a pitiful schoolmaster have done worse, whose trade it was thereby to get his living? If the acts of Xenophon and Caesar had not far transcended their eloquence, I scarce believe they would ever have taken the pains to have written them. They made it their business to recommend not their speaking, but their doing. And could the perfection of eloquence have added a lustre suitable to a great personage, certainly Scipio and Lelius had never resigned the honour of their comedies, with all the luxuriances and elegances of the Latin tongue, to an African slave. For that the work was theirs, its beauty and excellence sufficiently declare. Terence himself confesses as much, and I should take it ill from any one that would dispossess me of that belief. Tis a kind of mockery and offence to extol a man for qualities misbecoming his condition, though otherwise commendable in themselves, but such as ought not, however, to be his chief talent. As if a man should commend a king for being a good painter, a good architect, a good marksman, or a good runner at the ring commendations that add no honour, unless mentioned altogether and in the train of those that are properly applicable to him, namely, justice and the science of governing and conducting his people, both in peace and war. At this rate, agriculture was an honour to Cyrus, and eloquence and the knowledge of letters to Charlemagne. I have in my time known some who, by writing, acquired both their titles and fortune, disown their apprenticeship, corrupt their style, and affect ignorance in so vulgar a quality, 
which also our nation holds to be rarely seen in very learned hands, and to seek a reputation by better qualities. Demosthenes' companions in the embassy to Philip, extolling that prince as handsome, eloquent, and a stout drinker, Demosthenes said that those were commendations more proper for a woman, an advocate, or a sponge, than for a king. Imperet belante prior, iacentem lenis in hostem. In the fight, overthrow your enemy, but be merciful to him when fallen. Horace, Carmen Saeculare, verse 51. Tis not his profession to know either how to hunt or to dance well. Orabunt causas alii, coelique meatus, describent radio et fulgentia sidera dicent, hic regere imperio populus sciat. Let others plead at the bar, or describe the spheres, and point out the glittering stars. Let this man learn to rule the nations. Enaid 6, 849. Plutarch says, moreover, that to appear so excellent in these less necessary qualities is to produce witness against a man's self, that he has spent his time and applied his study ill, which ought to have been employed in the acquisition of more necessary and more useful things. So that Philip, king of Macedon, having heard that great Alexander, his son, sing once at a feast to the wonder of the best musicians there, Art thou not ashamed, said he to him, to sing so well? And to the same Philip, a musician, with whom he was disputing about some things concerning his art, Heaven forbid, sir, said he, that so great a misfortune should ever befall you as to understand these things better than I. A king should be able to answer as Iphicrates did the orator, who pressed upon him in his invective after this manner. And what art thou that thou bravest it at this rate? Art thou a man-at-arms? Art thou an archer? Art thou a pikeman? I am none of all this, but I know how to command all these. And Antisthenes took it for an argument of little value in Ismenias that he was commended for playing excellently well upon a flute. I know very well that when I hear any one dwell upon the language of my essays, I had rather a great deal he would say nothing. Tis not so much to elevate the style as to depress the sense, and so much the more offensively as they do it obliquely, and yet I am much deceived if many other writers deliver more worth noting as to the matter, and, how well or ill soever, if any other writer has sown things much more materials, or at all events more downright upon his paper than myself. To bring the more in, I only muster up the heads. Should I annex the sequel, I should trebly multiply the volume. And how many stories have I scattered up and down in this book that I only touch upon, which, should any one more curiously search into, they would find matter enough to produce infinite essays. Neither those stories nor my quotations always serve simply for example, authority, or ornament. I do not only regard them for the use I make of them. They carry, sometimes, besides what I apply them to, 
the seed of a more rich and a bolder matter, and sometimes, collaterally, a more delicate sound, both to myself, who will say no more about it in this place, and to others who shall be of my humor. But, returning to the speaking virtue, I find no great choice betwixt not knowing to speak anything but ill, and not knowing to speak anything but well. Non est ornamentum virile concimitas. A carefully arranged dress is no manly ornament. The sages tell us that, as to what concerns knowledge, tis nothing but philosophy, and as to what concerns effects, nothing but virtue, which is generally proper to all degrees and to all orders. There is something like this in these two other philosophers, for they also promise eternity to the letters they write to their friends. But tis after another manner, and by accommodating themselves, for a good end, to the vanity of another. For they write to them that if the concern of making themselves known to future ages, and the thirst of glory, do yet detain them in the management of public affairs, and make them fear the solitude and retirement to which they would persuade them, let them never trouble themselves more about it, for as much as they shall have credit enough with posterity to ensure them that were there nothing else but the letters thus written to them, those letters will render their names as known and famous as their own public actions could do. And besides this difference, these are not idle and empty letters, that contain nothing but a fine jingle of well-chosen words and delicate couched phrases, but rather replete and abounding with grand discourses of reason, by which a man may render himself not more eloquent, but more wise, and that instruct us not to speak, but to do well. Away with that eloquence that enchants us with itself, and not with actual things, unless you will allow that of Cicero to be of so supreme a perfection as to form a complete body of itself. I shall farther add one story we read of him to this purpose, wherein his nature will much more manifestly be laid open to us. He was to make an oration in public, and found himself a little straitened for time to make himself ready at his ease, when Eris, one of his slaves, brought him word that the audience was deferred till the next day, at which he was so ravished with joy that he enfranchised him for the good news. Upon this subject of letters, I will add this more to what has been already said, that it is a kind of writing wherein my friends think I can do something, and I am willing to confess I should rather have chosen to publish my whimsies that way than any other, had I had to whom to write. But I wanted such a settled intercourse, as I once had, to attract me to it, to raise my fancy, and to support me. For the traffic with the wind, as some others have done, and to forge vain names to direct my letters to, in a serious subject, I could never do it, but in a dream, being a sworn enemy to all manner of falsification. I should have been more diligent and more confident had I had a judicious and indulgent friend whom to address, than thus to expose myself 
to the various judgments of a whole people, and I am deceived if I had not succeeded better. I have naturally a humorous and familiar style, but it is a style of my own, not proper for public business, but, like the language I speak, too compact, irregular, abrupt, and singular, and as to letters of ceremony that have no other substance than a fine contexture of courteous words, I am wholly to seek. I have neither faculty nor relish for those tedious tenders of service and affection. I believe little in them from others, and I should not forgive myself should I say to others more than I myself believe. Tis, doubtless, very remote from the present practice, for there never was so abject and servile prostitution of offers, life, soul, devotion, adjuration, vassal, slave, and I cannot tell what, as now, all which expressions are so commonly and so indifferently posted to and fro by every one and to every one, that when they would profess a greater and more respectful inclination upon more just occasions, they have not wherewithal to express it. I mortally hate all air of flattery, which is the cause that I naturally fall into a shy, rough, and crude way of speaking, that, to such as do not know me, may seem a little to relish of disdain. I honor those most to whom I show the least honor, and where my soul moves with the greatest cheerfulness, I easily forget the ceremonies of look and gesture, and offer myself faintly and bluntly to them, to whom I am the most devoted. Methinks they should read it in my heart, and that the expression of my words does but injure the love I have conceived within. To welcome, take leave, give thanks, accost, offer my service, and such verbal formalities as the ceremonious laws of our modern civility enjoin, I know no man so stupidly unprovided of language as myself, and I have never been employed in writing letters of favor and recommendation, that he, in whose behalf it was written, did not think my mediation cold and imperfect. The Italians are great printers of letters. I do believe I have at least an hundred several volumes of them, of all which those of Anibale Caro seem to me to be the best. If all the paper I have scribbled to the ladies at the time when my hand was really prompted by my passion were now in being, there might, peradventure, be found a page worthy to be communicated to our young enamoratos that are besotted with that fury. I always write my letters post-haste, so precipitately that though I write intolerably ill, I rather choose to do it myself than to employ another, for I can find none able to follow me, and I never transcribe any. I have accustomed the great ones who know me to endure my blots and dashes, and upon paper without fold or margin. Those that cost me the most pains are the worst. When I once begin to draw it in by head and shoulders, tis a sign that I am not there. I fall to without premeditation or design. The first word begets the second, and so to the end of the chapter. 
The letters of this age consist more in fine edges and prefaces than in matter. Just as I had rather write two letters than close and fold up one, and always assign that employment to some other, so, when the real business of my letter is dispatched, I would with all my heart transfer it to another hand to add those long herrings, offers, and prayers that we place at the bottom, and should be glad that some new custom would discharge us of that trouble, as also of superscribing them with a long legend of qualities and titles, which, for fear of mistakes, I have often not written at all, and especially to men of the long robe and finance, there are so many new offices, such a dispensation and ordering of titles of honor, that tis hard to set them forth aright yet, being so dearly bought, they are neither to be altered nor forgotten without offense. I find it equally in bad taste to encumber the fronts and inscriptions of the books we commit to the press with such. End of section 39